What's up, everyone? Hope you are doing fantastically well today. It is Tuesday, July 7th, and this is Raphael Garcia here with Schwan Humes for episode 170. Notice I did not mess that up this time. Episode 170, I know for a fact of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Schwan, how are you doing? Not too bad at all, man. Another day in the beautiful state of Texas. So before we get into talking about MMA, we got a hell of a card to talk about this weekend. I am trying to convince Schwan, everybody, that in the ninth grade, it is okay to punch kids in the mouth. I personally remember my time as a ninth grader. A lot of my friends and I were probably a little bit of a prick, and we probably deserve to get punched in the mouth every now and then. Schwan is trying to be a good guy and not do it, but I think I, I think we need to convince him that it's okay to punch kids in the mouth and when they get to the ninth grade, if they, des- if they deserve it. So when you see this show go up, and we tweet it out, talk about it, please hit the comments. And let's let Shawan know that you won't judge him any differently if he goes to jail for knocking out a little, what, 14, 15-year-old kid. I mean, I can fight my kids, but these other kids, that's a little bit different. I mean, listen, <laughs> listen, you, you, you live in Texas. If it's going to fly anywhere, it's going to fly in Texas. That is true. I was at one of my kids' basketball tournaments like a year ago, and their team, a team, they beat the other team, came in behind, beat them. I told one of the other team's players, I was like, hey, good game. The kid like laughed at me and then and then flicked me off, and I'm like, I, See, I should you, just I should just choke you out right now, but I'm not going to. You should have threw the ball right at the back of his head. He'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll never do it again. So everybody listening to the show, please be sure to hit us up with the hashtag, knock a kid out. We're gonna make we're gonna, gonna get um, kicked off Twitter. <laughs> we're gonna get that trend. But if we're talking about people getting knocked out, man, there's gonna be a lot of opportunities for, for folks to get knocked the hell out on Saturday at UFC 251, where we have some shakeup at the top of the card. Some pretty interesting shakeup there, Schwan, where we have Jorge Masvidal stepping in on a week's notice to fight Kamaru Usman. Gilbert Burns has fallen out. Due to, due to COVID-19. We're going to talk about that in a second because that's that's a that's a developing story. But Jorge Masvidal steps in, sir. Um, Street Jesus, Trump supporter, Jorge Masvidal. Style breakdown, sir. Let us know what you think about this fight straight up. You got Usman versus Masvidal. Break down the styles for me before we get to the bigger stories behind this conversation. Well, the biggest thing I, I keep telling people... Because a lot of people favor Usman, obviously the wrestling, the pressure, the size, the physicality. But the thing about it is, even though Jorge Masvidal is supposedly fighting on short notice, he's been training the whole time, and he's been training for Kamar Usman. That's the deficit that you're. That's that's the advantage that every contender has when you're a champion, whether you're a new champion or a dominant champion. Everybody's really training for you in one form or, or fashion. You're training for whoever shows up, whoever your next competitor. We don't know who the next competitor is going to be. We generally know who the next champion is going to be. So Masvidal's been staying in shape, working on his wrestling defense, his counters and scrambles, and how to strike efficiently without being taken down, all geared towards fighting Kamaru Usman because everybody expected Usman to be Burns, and Masvidal thought down the line he'd be able to fight him. So if anybody's more prepared for somebody, I would expect Masvidal to be prepared for Usman much more so than Usman's prepared for Masvidal. As far as skills go... I don't think Usman's a better fighter. He might be a better wrestler, but outside of that, he's not a better grappler. We've never really seen him on the bat. I don't know that he's a better defensive grappler, counter grappler. I don't really know that he's a great offensive grappler. I've never really seen him really like just dominate and submit people in, in that manner. He's taken down and essentially just beating the, beating the crap out of him, chipped him up, grinded him down. The only real area I feel he has an advantage over Masvidal is the, is the, is the wrestling. Striking defensively and offensively is not close. Counters, it's not close. Uh, kickboxing, the boxing isn't close. The grappling, I really feel, isn't isn't close. Um, as I said, the question is going to become: Is Masvidal has his wrestling, defensive wrestling, and his defensive footwork on the feet, and his layers of offense as far as his striking, as far as feints, mixing in kick punch combinations, feinting with the jab, throwing the knee. If he, he's developed that stuff well enough that he can keep Uzma from getting into the spots he needs to get into to attempt takedowns and keep Uzma from getting in the spots he needs to to complete takedowns. That's basically the story of the fight. If he can maintain those things, then, and it's an extended stand-up fight, I fully expect Jorge Masvidal to be able to win it, whether it's, knocking it, whether it's just winning a decision, knocking him out, 
or hurting him and getting him into submission. If he can maintain or if he can force Usman to have to work to get in positions and work to get takedowns and work to maintain control and takedowns, I, I would favor Masvidal. The only problem with Masvidal is he's historically been a slow starter. He's historically been a guy who, once he gets into a groove, if you if he doesn't feel like you're actually beating him up, like beating his ass, he'll kind of cruise and then just be defensive and defend things and escape things and counter things, but not really counter with any urgency or with any bad intentions. And he can lose decisions because of that. Now he's gotten better about it in his pat in the recent fights he's been in, but most of those fights haven't gone long enough for him for us to see how he would really respond if he wasn't able to get somebody out of there within the first round and a half or so. And I, I don't believe that he's going to put Usman away in the first round and a half. So so he's going to have to be fight with urgency for the entirety of the fight, both offensively and the amount of volume he's throwing and defensively in regards to his wrestling defense and his footwork to make Usman be susceptible to the offense that he's throwing. But um, I, I think Masvidal's a better fighter, and I think he's got the advantage because he's been training for this guy. Usman does the same thing in every fight, but Usman was expecting a different challenge from, from Burns. I don't know that he's prepared for what Masvidal is bringing to the table. So you said a lot of interesting things there, and I agree with you when it comes to the striking. Jorge is a lot years ahead. I do not, like, when we talk about grappling, are you talking about submitting, taking your, dominating your opponent on the ground and submitting them, or are you talking about being able to control where the fight occurs? I'm talking not just on submissions, but since we've never really seen Usman in like extended scrambles and we've never seen Usman on his back, I don't know that if he gets put on his back defensively, he has anything for somebody. Like I know he can wrestle and I assume he can scramble. I don't know that he can grapple. And that means not just from a superior position, but an inferior position. If he gets stuck on his back. Do I know Usman can submit somebody or get back to his feet? I don't know. Mm. So this is so where I look at that is like Jorge isn't the type of guy to secure a takedown at all. I mean, he doesn't even attempt them, and I understand why he doesn't. That's not his bread and butter. He is a defensive wrestler at stake or, or at heart. The question I have, though, is will he be able to get out of positions that Usman's wrestling will be able to put him in? I think if I look at the way um, Khabib, uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov was able to take down Dustin Poirier at will. Dustin Poirier is a better striker. Khabib was overall the better grappler. It doesn't matter what his jiu-jitsu looks like off of his back because he's not going to be on his back. And I feel like that's how I look at Kamaru Usman as well because Jorge Masvidal has some great... He has good takedown defense if you're not a good wrestler. Like, if you look at his, his, um, his resume, people forget Ben Askren was a favorite for a reason when they fought last year. Yes, he got knocked out in five seconds, but Ben Askren was a favorite for a reason. Um, Damian Maya is not a wrestler. He is someone who will try to get a hold of you and try to pull guard and um, try to try to get the get the better positioning there. Jake Ellenberger was a solid, solid wrestler. Jorge Masvidal beat him. That was back in 2016. But if you look at uh, Benson Henderson, Al Quinta, those are two solid wrestlers as well. Now, those are back in 2015, five years ago. Ruslan Habilov, uh, back in 2013, all of those guys were, were able to control um, the position of the fight because of their ability to take Masvidal down. Now, they were a long time ago. They were more than five years ago. So you got to wonder, yes, I'm sure his takedown ability has approved. He brought in Bo Nickel to work on uh, takedowns and work on wrestling for this fight. And if you don't know who Bo Nickel is, Bo Nickel is probably one of the best American wrestlers in the game right now today. So he did a lot of work to get better in that space. But in the, in, in, the, in the 25 minutes of a fight, it's just a little bit different there. I don't think we'll see Kamaru on his back at any point in time trying to defend from a grappling standpoint. But if he cannot get the fight to the position that he wants it, wants him to be in, I do agree that he is in trouble. Well, my biggest, my biggest thing is if I'm, a, if I'm a fighter, I don't, I've tell fighters that I've worked with, you can't, I'm not saying take dumb shots. I'm not saying force exchanges, but there can't be a range you're unwilling to attack from. 
once somebody knows that essentially you're not if there's five things I have to worry about and I know you're not going to do two of them and you don't know what I'm going to do, you have to worry about all five. My job's easier than yours. It's like if I have a team that can lay up, hit mid range and three pointers and all you can do is hit layups, you're at a disadvantage. I only have to guard you in one place. So even if you're not actively considering, you don't think that he's a threat there, he's got to at least be able to make Usman entertain that. And the reason I say he has he has an advantage isn't because I think his wrestling is on par with Usman's, but Burns and and Masvidal are tremendously, tremendously different fighters. They're they're not similar in style, they're not similar in skill set, mm-hmm. they're not similar in approach. Usman pretty much has done what Usman's done pretty much in every single fight. The, the, the chief difference being when he fought Colby Covington because Covington's wrestling was good enough that he didn't want to risk, in my opinion, didn't want to risk getting exhausted, getting into wrestling exchanges because Colby's a high-volume, high-activity type person. I don't want to waste myself and then open myself up on the feet. As good as Usman has been, it's not like he takes everybody down and they just stay there. People have gotten back to their feet against Usman before. That's not, it's not like we've never seen that happen before. I've seen worse fighters get back to their feet. I've seen guys with worse, worse defensive footwork be able to at least stuff a couple takedowns. I'm not saying they can do it go the whole round, but I'm just saying you have to make him work. You can't concede anything. It's the same thing Volkov did to Blades. You can't just let him take you down and concede it. You have to look for submissions. You have to make him work. Don't let him just rest and start pounding on you. Don't just give up the takedown. You're trying to get back up. You're fighting the takedown on every single turn. You're making him work because if he's used to always getting that takedown the first or second try and he has to go to the third or fourth every round, you're going to get your moment. You might It might be only a small moment. It only might be only half a round. It might just be one round, but you are going to have your moment where you, you can lounge your counters, maybe reverse switch hit a scramble, put him on his back, and now we're going to see what's up. But it requires you to make him work for every single aspect of what he's doing to get in range, to get his hands on you, to get you in position, and to get you down, and then you make him work to do it all over again. Everybody says when you're a wrestler, if you're forcing that kind of pace and forcing those takedowns, you, you can't maintain it or you miss it, it's tremendously disheartening. It's tremendously exhausting. And we don't know what Usman's like when he's dead tired and he's exhausted and he can't get those takedowns. He's probably a lot like every other wrestler. I haven't seen enough of him on the feet to let me know that if he's tired, he can still find his way through defensively and with feint. If he's not the bully, what happens? What happens when somebody really pushes back on him? Colby Covington almost had him. He couldn't finish the dough. He couldn't finish the show. I think if, Uz- if Masvidal gets him in a position, Masvidal will close the show on him. It's just getting to that position. It's getting to that position and wondering when it will happen. It, it, this is going to be an intriguing fight for a number of of different reasons here. I am looking at this situation as if Masvidal wins, the welterweight division is going to be pandemonium. There's a reason why uh, Dana White does not want the BMF title on the line. He knows that that's a fight for Jorge and and Conor McGregor to have at some point in time. That's exactly why he's not even talking to Usman about that. But what is the ramifications of a Masvidal victory on Saturday? Um, it is once again showing that the Nate Diaz brand of the Nate Diaz style of branding is undefeated in mixed martial arts. You turn on your boss, you challenge everybody's manhood, you question everybody's heart as a fighter, you play hardball, and you wait for your opportunity. And when it comes out, you make the most of it. Either way, Jorge Masvidal has put himself, if he wins, he puts himself down in mixed martial arts history. Because this is legitimately probably one of the biggest upsets you will ever see. And one of the biggest turns around. This is almost a bigger turnaround than Robbie Lawler becoming champion. Because Lawler was, was tapped as the champion. Masvidal has never been thought of as championship material. Not for the past 7, 8, 10 years. For him to turn around and become the best welterweight in the world off of week notice. When the UFC basically said he had no chance and he could just take his ball and go home. Oh my god, it would upset the whole balance. I, I think you might see Connor come back because now that fight is tremendously huge. Every and Usman's not a popular guy. Usman doesn't have any real attention. He doesn't he's a good guy, he's a smart guy, he has a certain charm about him. He doesn't have the charisma that Masvidal does. And a fight between a Connor and and Masvidal, that might be worth getting out of bed for. A fight between let's say Jason Justin Gaethje says, I'm just gonna move up and give it a shot. It, you have a lot more opportunities in making money, you have a lot more of a sellable story. To the, to the average fan with a Masvidal win than you do with Uzma. I mean, Masvidal, Colby Covington, with all that, that that'd be huge. Even though Covington's not a selling point, the, 
the history behind him that makes that huge. Masvidal become against Connor. That that becomes a big fight. Any he's got two or three money fights in front of him if he wins. Usman ain't you're not getting top dollar for, for anybody. He's he's just not an appealing enough champion. So if Masvidal wins it, it's a win for the UFC. It's a huge win for his legacy as a pretty much journeyman fighter who's now become the best in the world. It's such an interesting journey for his career. Um, I remember the first time I saw Masvidal fight was back in, let me look at the record real quick. The first fight I saw for Masvidal was in 2011 against Gilbert Melendez. And Gilbert pieced him up, basically pieced him up towards that um, decision win. And since then, he's been, he's been someone I really enjoyed watching but he has so many losses that are just like, dude, what if you did a little bit more? Al Quinta, Benson Henderson, Lorenz Larkin, Damian Maya. He, if you did a little bit more, he would be in a totally different position of his career. But he's finally gotten this title shot that he deserves so much. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens if he um, picks up a win here. Let me ask you a question about the fans. Because this is a fight that everyone got hyped about. It's one of those rare situations where um, the replacement fight is better than the original fight. Are fans in store to be let down? Is this fight going to be a snore of a, of a fight? Or do you think that Jorge will be able to push the action enough to get what he needs to get? I think because of the way he beat Ben Askren and the fact he's knocked some guys out, people are going to be on the edge of their sheet for the round, for the... Uh, entirety of the fight because that knee he landed on on Askren it worked well fresh in the fight but if for some reason Usman's a little tired going into the fifth round that knee can work at any time especially if he's tired he's not going to win exchange it, it's it's only going to be because of the fact that he's knocked out so many guys recently that people are going to be like well you know he got this guy late you know that knee can land at any point it's it's always going to be a matter of sitting on the edge waiting for Usman to make that mistake I don't think Usman's going to be able to dictate pace. I don't think I don't think Masvidal's going to accept positions. And the first couple rounds might be boring. I think it could be similar to Blades Volkov. The first couple rounds could be boring. The last couple rounds could be like high high theater. Like you're just like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Oh my God, what's going to happen? I mean, he's dominating, but he's so tired. He got that takedown, but look how he labored. Oh my God, Masvidal's on his feet. What's going to happen now? I think that's the kind of fight it's going to be. It could very well be boring, but I I can't imagine. Masvidal's got to know this is his last and only shot. If he doesn't pay off with this one, he's essentially done. He he's completed his arc. The UFC is going to John Fitch him. He needs to make this. There, there's no tomorrow. There's no saving it for my next title shot because I'm such a big draw. If I win two or three fights, he's not Holly Holm. He's not Uriah Faber. He ain't Conor McGregor. He needs to win this. He can't leave anything on the table. If he leaves something on the table or plays it safe, then that's the same. Then he deserves whatever he gets. This is not a time to play safe. This is. Your whole career in one moment. If you, I, I'd risk getting knocked out or choked out for this to fight because you ain't getting a, he ain't getting another shot. He's worse than Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns ain't getting another shot. Jorge Masvidal ain't getting another shot. He better win this fight. Interesting thoughts there, man, that, that you feel that way. Let's move on to the co-main event where we have Alexander Volkanovsky defending his 145-pound title against former champion and man he defeated for the belt, Max Holloway. My first thought about this question is I'm hearing so much talk about Holloway, 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 Holloway. Are we overlooking Volkanovski and City Boxing and what they were able to do to Holloway the first time around? I, there's, I wrote about this today about the, the, I guess, the bad luck of rematches in MMA that happened soon after the, the main event. The loser of the first fight usually loses the second as well. So is this a situation where the first fight was so close that we think Holloway has had enough time to figure that out? And we're going to talk about that in a second as well. Or are we going to see more of the same from the first time around? Well, the biggest thing, the biggest thing, well, first, of course, it focus on Max Holloway. He's the interesting person. I, Volkanovski is a great fighter, comes from a great camp. He is boring. He's almost as boring as Dan Hooker is. He's boring. He doesn't have a fan base in America. His fan base, is it, he's not a proven star on any level. Of course they're focusing on the star. They want people to buy. That's the reason this matchup is happening. It sells. Volkanovski versus anybody else in the division does not sell. Nobody wants to see that. So, it's just nobody cares. 
until he beats Max at least twice. It's the biggest fight that can be made in the division. Of course, they're going to make it again and try to make as much money as they can off it. If Volkanovski has a problem with that, hey, it sucks. Happened to Amanda Nunes. Happened to Max Holloway against Jose Aldo. Happened to whoever faces the bigger star. You just have to shut up. Shut up. Get the win. Get your money. That's the best revenge you can have. <clears throat> Second of all, I've been saying this, but everybody, everybody's on this trip about how Holloway can't be Volkanovski. Everybody's saying the stuff that I've been saying for the past two years now. Oh, well, you know, he matches his volume and his durability and his physicality. Yeah, before y'all were saying that Max was, un- Max was untouchable. Y'all said he was an excellent technician offensively. He's a superb technician defensively. He was a next-level counterfighter. I never bought into that, and I never said that. And people kept telling me this, and I'm like, I don't see it. Max's biggest weapons are his conditioning slash activity and his durability. His whole fighting style, his whole success as a fighter is tremendously based on those two things. And that's why I thought Brian Ortega might beat him, because I'm like, if he's even 10% less... He can't win. The only reason he beat Jose Aldo is because Aldo was outslicking him defensively, countering him huge, but Max could A, he sets a high pace, B, he can take whatever Jose had firing at him, and C, he could ramp up his pace. And when you're a defensive fighter and a guy ramps up his pace, then you focus so much on defense because you can't throw anything back. And secondly, you start loading up on shots because you know you can't match him shot for shot. If I'm loading up on, if I'm throwing a bunch of volume and you're defensive, that means for every 10 shots I throw, you might throw three. It's easier for me to dodge three. Secondly, if you're loading up on shots, trying to get the most power out of them, it's easier for me to slip and roll with them because I see them coming. So it essentially makes me a better defensive fighter because I put so much pressure on you offensively. Now that he's fighting Volkov, he doesn't have that advantage. When he tries to ramp up the volume, Volkov can match him. When he tries to trade shots... Volkov actually hits harder than Max. Max isn't a hard hitter. If Max was a hard hitter, he'd, he'd like land like 30, 40, 50, 60. He throws all this volume. If he hit with any power, guys would be dead in the cage. They'd be dead in the octagon if they got hit that much with real power. He gets by because of the power. He hits for average. The, power, the, the a- amount of shots he lands and the accuracy makes up for his lack of power. He's facing a guy who's a bigger hitter, who's got just as good a chin, who's got just as good as cardio. So the whole premise that sets up his techniques and the variation of his techniques and the openings that he wants has been essentially neutralized because he can't outpace Volkanovski. He can't hurt him with any one shot. Max has never really hurt anybody with any one shot. Second of all, and third of all, Volkanovski can hurt him with any shot he lands. Max's whole thing is volume and durability. Yeah, he's got defensive skills. But when you put that much volume in, you're going to get hit a lot. And when he faces guys who can really hit, he gets dinged up. Dinged up against Aldo, dinged up against Poirier, dinged up against Ortega, dinged up against Volkanovski. It's been a trend. These other guys couldn't match the pace. They didn't hit hard enough to really hurt him, and they couldn't match the pace. Volkanovski can match the pace. So the openings he expects to be there won't be. The time he's used to having so he could do his spitting attacks and pick his shots with his jab and land his kicks, those won't be there. Because every time he touches Volkanovski, Volkanovski touches him back. Every time he misses Volkanovski, Volkanovski touches him back. So the question is, has he changed his style and his temperament and his character in these six, seven months, whatever it's been? I don't think so. I don't, I don't know if it's possible. So to me, this is a very open and shut case. It'll be exciting because Max is tough. Volkanovski tough. They throw a lot of volume. They throw a lot of technique. They set a high pace. They like contact. But I don't know what Max is going to do differently technically that's going to say that he beats Volkanovski. Is he going to take him down to wrestle? Guess. I mean, Max can do that. I don't know if he can do it to Volkanovski. Is he going to outbox him at range? That's not going to happen. He got outboxed at range. Is he going to outkick him? Eh, possible. He could do that. But that'd be a different Max. And that'd be me, me expecting him to do something he hasn't done in years. So if you look at what he's shown you and who he is, and you take into account the wear and tear on this dude, um, I don't see how you don't pick Volkanovski. There's ways he can be Volkanovski. But as I said on Twitter, I ain't getting paid to come up with these ways, so I ain't telling anybody a damn thing. True, sir. True there. Let's let's stay on um, that. You, you said something that was actually a note I wanted to talk about today. Um, Max Holloway. Are we witnessing the slow breakdown of Holloway? I talked about this with Dustin Poirier after last week's fight and or actually the week before on last week's show we i'm wondering if we're starting to see the breakdown of Holloway or, or dustin poirier because he's been doing so much for so long same thing with max holloway we're forgetting this guy's been in the ufc since he was 19 i think that's when he came in 
Like he's been at, at the highest of high levels for such a long time that at some point in time, his body is going to slow down on him. He is 28 years old. 28 years old, Shwani. He's been in the UFC since uh, 2012. So he's been in since he was 20. Um, and, he, and he's been fighting since he was 18. What do we think is going to happen with him long term? Are we looking at a situation where his body is slowly, slowly breaking down and this might be the end of the end or the start of the end for him? Uh, I think he's already been declining. I, I've already said this before. They bring Max out like, I don't know, like people bring out, I don't even know what to compare it to. They just trot him out for everything. There was supposed to be the fight with Khabib, but he couldn't make weight. So he had, he had a botched weight cut then. There was another fight he was supposed to take, but he he had another weight issue. Then there was a thing where the Ortega fight got pushed back because he's having headaches and lightheaded and couldn't cut the weight. There was that. Then there was a fight with Ortega, which even though it was one-sided, Ortega landed a little. People forget, Ortega hit the hell out of Max. Max just could take it. The fight with two fights with Aldo, Aldo was lighting Max's ass up the first round and a half or two rounds. Max just could take it. The fight against Volkanovski, he was taking tons of shots. He just took it. The fight against Dustin Poirier, he took a tremendous beating. He just was able to take it. Most of Max Holloway's fight, even his fight against... Anthony Pettis, he was taking some big shots against Anthony Pettis. I don't know that he was rocked, but he, he was taking big shots from Pettis, and Pettis knocked out welterweights before. Let's, let's not pretend like Max Holloway hasn't been spending the better half of his career getting taken as good as he's getting. He's just drowning guys in volume. You can't fight that much, and you can't fight in that style, taking that kind of abuse, fighting at that kind of pace, as well as training in the manner you have to train. Because you have to train in a certain manner. To have that kind of conditioning, to have that... To be able to accept punishment that way and fight through, you have to train with a certain intensity. That means you're burning the candle at both ends. Uh, Cain Velasquez has done it. Antonio in boxing, Antonio Margarito's done it to a certain degree. Holly Holmes done it. You don't. You only have so many wars in you, and Max has probably had more than his fair share. And he's to me, he's he's a good athlete. He ain't great. He's not dynamic and super explosive. He's not top tier. So I feel like to a certain degree certain aspects of his world-class elite talent has been beaten out of them. And yet he's going into another fight where he's guaranteed to take a lot of shots, to have to throw a lot of shots, and to take a lot of abuse to win this fight. So I, I think Max has been slowing down for the last year and a half. He didn't look great against Edgar. Edgar hit him a couple times, and I was like, eh, I don't like the way he's responding to that. I don't like that. I, I saw a couple couple, couple moments against Edgar where made me had me a little concerned. Against Poirier, he didn't have the defense or the defensive awareness to get away. He's just walking into shots with one of the biggest hitters at it, it, it lightweight. You know, so I do think they've used Max to push the UFC forward. I think it's going to have a detrimental effect on him long term. And I, I don't know that he's going to be world class at this division. And with his fighting style, I don't know that he could be world class at a at lightweight for much more than a few fights. I, I feel like we may have already seen the best of him. And in the next Two or three years, he might be a guy who wins two, loses two, wins three, loses one, wins four, loses two. He's, it's, it's, there's no, I don't know that I favor him as dominantly as I had previously. And in the last couple of years, you know, I haven't been favoring Max by much at all in, in most of the fights he's been in because I've seen him slow. Other people haven't seen it. Other people didn't recognize it until the Poirier fight. And then they just said, oh, it's because he's heavier. No, he's slowing. He didn't take shots as well. He didn't, he doesn't. He doesn't throw as much volume. He's not as quick off the trigger. And when he got to Volkanovski, it got highlighted again. And now everybody's catching on. Well, maybe Max has lost a step. He's been losing a step. He's been losing a step for a while. You can't fight the way he does. And you don't, you don't get super long careers fighting the way he does, fighting the level of competition he does. That, that doesn't work. And, and I think you're going to start seeing the decay now. Even if he wins this fight by some manner, I, I think he's going to start falling off a cliff in the next six months to a year. I don't think he can make. I don't think he make. I don't think he make featherweight that well either. So and that's he actually won't what be a featherweight any longer. Like, are we? Is he going to move up to one fifty five? Like, do you think that that's going to happen? And it's like, what does that look like for him? Because when he fought Dustin Poirier, there, Poirier was able to deal with his volume and with his power. So I don't think that's a good recommendation either for him. A lot of people can. Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson still can. Um, Dan Hooker would be a tough fight for him. Dan Hooker would be a tough fight. Could you imagine if, if Justin Cagey catches him with three shots in a row? I mean, yeah, it might be 
night night. I mean, there's 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 a lot of people at the at the there's a lot of people with lightweight who could hurt him because there's a lot of big hitters. They might not be as complete of fighters, but the fact of the matter is, I felt Max should have been making subtle changes to his fighting style so that when he couldn't depend on his two crutches, he'd be able to dominate. He clearly has not been making. They get they've been getting getting away with working on a certain style and winning with a certain style. He doesn't have a plan B because if he had one, Volkanovski would have been in some trouble. He has no plan B. I think Volkanovski has a plan B. His camp has prepared him for, for a variety of styles, variety of approaches. I don't know if Max Holloway has a plan B. He didn't have a plan B against Dustin Holloway. I mean, Dustin Poirier he kept doing the same thing. I mean, it was almost like watching Dan Hooker and Dustin Poirier fight, if you think about it. To be real honest, that, that fight was very similar. Um, and against Volkanovski, he had no plan B. It, it, it didn't work, and he kept doing the same thing harder. And that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It didn't work then, and it's not working now. So I, I think maybe he's run out of ideas. Maybe his camp's run out of ideas. And um, I don't think, even if they've made changes, I don't know that he, they've done enough time, especially with no sparring and not seeing his coaches. I don't know that it's ingrained enough that he can stick to them long enough to win. He might be able to come out for a round, half a round, a round and a half, and do some new stuff. But once it gets hot, he's going to start doing back what he used to do. And what he used to do wasn't good enough. It stopped being good enough at the elite level a couple year, like a couple fights ago. So let me ask you this question here. Is it more important for the direction of the featherweight division that Volkanovski win or Holloway? Well, if Holloway wins, I think he's moving up. So it's better if Volkanovski wins because you haven't seen him fight a lot of the guys that Holloway's fought. So there's new challenges. There's new storylines. I mean, Max is popular, but we've already kind of seen him against most of the division. So I think it's better if a new champion goes in there. And we get to see some new, new, new matchups and uh, have some new storylines, and maybe can expand the uh, sport in another area. True, true. Let's talk about the next fight on this card. Another title fight where we have Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo. So first thing, since a lot of people may not know about Peter Yan, let's talk about that first. Can you give us a fight breakdown of these two individuals? Uh, Aldo's pretty, pretty well known. He's you know, one of the best defensive strikers of all time in mixed martial arts. Uh, probably one of the better boxers in mixed martial arts. At one point, was one of the, the better athletes in mixed martial arts. And at worst, maybe number two, number one, as far as pound for pound. As far as actual skill and level of competition, he was probably no worse than number number two or number uh, one. But um, as recently, he, he doesn't – he's never had the cardio – but a lot of times he's had the power and the accuracy and the defensive awareness to scare guys off and force guys to slow down. Because as we saw with Chad Mendez, if you put a pace on Jose Aldo, he will match your pace. But since he's so defensively sound, you're going to get the worst of it. And most guys can't stand up under, under that kind of pressure and that kind of assault. He doesn't have his conditioning anymore. He has to pick his spots a little more. He's a little bit more defensively. He's more pot shotty. He doesn't put his shots together all the time. He kind of tries to set guys up, think guys, get clear, uh, defensive maneuver so that guys expose themselves and then make them make them pay but he's still one of the best technicians even at, at this level of athleticism fighting in a new weight class against a top three guy in the weight class he looked very good and, and in my opinion he beat Marais. that was just a bad decision so Aldo's who he is he's just a little bit slower a um, little bit less dynamic but still is crafty still defensively sound and still one of the crisper counter strikers in the history of mixed martial arts like a kind of like Anderson Silva, if Anderson Silva was really a technician as far as a striker instead of more of a strategist. Um, Peter Yan, big, strong, tough guy, throws a lot of volume, throws very good technique, has layered offense, good distance management, puts his shots together well. And, but the main thing you'll notice about him is his physicality and his activity. He, his, those are his two calling cards. He's very physical and punishing, and he throws a lot of techniques, and he throws a lot of volume. And that's essentially what wears guys down. Guys can catch him in spots. They can kind of control him in spots. But he can't be scared off. And guys can't maintain the pace defensively. Defense is still the weakest part of mixed martial arts. And we have a guy throwing a lot of crisp techniques at you, very hard, very fast, and at a high volume. Uh, most guys' defense breaks down. When their defense breaks down, he just overwhelms them and pretty much walks them down. So let's talk about Peter Yan. 
here because this is a guy that a lot of people don't really know about too well and he's another foreign individual who isn't as big of a star as some of the others is peter young the truth or is he a transitional champion at 135 i think given his size his physicality his overall skill set yeah he he's he's the truth but you look at his resume and it, it's kind of thin i mean you look at who Aljamain Sterling fought in his last four fights. It's a better resume than Peter Yan. Hell, if you look at Peter Yan's last fight and Jose Aldo's last fight, Jose Aldo fought the more dangerous fighter. Henry Cejudo's fought better competition. Dominic Cruz in his one fight coming back has fought better competition in the weight class. Everybody's fought, whether they won or lost, they face better competition than Peter Yan. So even though he's looked very good against some very tough guys, he hasn't looked good against the guys who people deem as the killers in division. Your eye favorite is not considered a killer in this division. Jimmy Rivera, as good as he's been, is still a plan A fighter. The minute you make him go to a plan B, he's terrible. And he has he's not considered one of the elite in division anymore. So he's beaten up on good, not great guys. So there's some questions as far as Pedion and his legitimacy to a title shot, his legitimacy as a potential challenger. Even if he beats Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo really hasn't accomplished much in the division either. So Peter Young's probably going to have to make, have another win or two before he's considered a real high-level quality bantamweight as far as the guys he's beaten. I mean, Cody Garbrandt's last three opponents are better than the guys that, that Peter Young's fought, and Cody Garbrandt's last win was better than anything that Peter Young's done in his entirety of time in the UFC. And that's coming. He got a, he got a tougher opponent coming off a three-fight losing streak than Peter Young caught on with a, what, three- or four-fight win streak, which is beyond ridiculous. But given his skills, his conditioning, and his physicality, yeah, he looks legit. Um, but this is a dangerous fight for him. At least early, this is a very dangerous fight for him. He likes to come forward. He likes to throw volume. Yeah, he comes between feints and, and slick setups. But the fact of the matter, he likes to come forward. He likes to throw hard. And he likes to throw volume. Aldo is still a very highly regarded defensive fighter. He is still a punishing counterfighter. And if you're going to come forward on him and throw, throw volume, um, he's already faced that. Max Holloway, Volkanowski, he's faced that before. And at least for a round and a half, possibly two, maybe possibly more, he's, I, I believe he's going to punish Jan. Jan's going to get his work in too, but Jan isn't coming out of that clean. If your eye favor is able to counter you here and there and cause you issues with his footwork and movement, then Aldo's going to have something for you when you walk through that door, when you kick in the door. Aldo's going to have something loaded for you. Who do you think is coming out of this fight with the victory? I would like to say Jose Aldo. I really would. I think if he was younger, I would pick Aldo. I would think Aldo would chop chop his ass down. But Aldo isn't as durable. If he if he could have kept the pace, he would have stopped Marais. He can't keep a pace anymore. If he doesn't get you out of there in those first round and a half or two or really, really hurt you, it, it's a long night for him. And Aldo's not really much of a takedown guy. He's He's not much of a leg kick guy anymore, not consistently. And even though he can start hot, he tends to slow down and try to pick his spots, and I don't know that that works against a guy who can, can ramp up the volume and keep pressure on him. I, I think this fight goes similarly to the Max Holloway, maybe Volkanovski fights where he comes out early, he's, he's punishing him, he's catching him, he's countering him, he's outslicking him, he's outpositioning him, and then little by little, Jan starts to walk him down and take over. I mean, there's always a chance that maybe Aldo lands that Hail Mary shot. It's just not a very good one at this stage. We've already seen this version. We've seen what Aldo does against a technical, tough, high-volume fighter. He loses at this point, and I would expect him to lose again. Okay. All right. We have another rematch that's on the docket for Saturday, where Jessica Andrade and Rose Namajunas are fighting for the second time. We remember the first time. Namajunas was piecing um, Andrade up until Andrade got her hands on her and dumped her on her head pretty hard to a point where people thought that it should have been illegal, but when in reality, looking at the looking at the technique again, it was still Rose's fault. Is this a fight that's going to look a lot similar to that first fight, Sean? All depends on Rose, pretty much how Rose tries to approach this. Jessica Andrade is to me not a good fighter, not technically. She's a right idea, poor execution type fighter. She attacks the body, she attacks the leg. Leg kicks aren't really great. You can counter on those. Her body shots are are good but you can counter off of those her footwork pressure footwork isn't good she just comes she can't be scared off so she stays on you you can spin her you can turn her just with footwork alone but she can take the shot so she stays on you 
the, the biggest part of her is she plays to her strength. She knows she's big. She knows she's strong. She knows she's physically punishing. That's what she sticks to. The first fight, as much as I want to say that Rose was just handling her, the fact of the matter was Rose was hitting her a lot. Rose didn't really ever have her, like, really stunned or on, on, on skates. We saw what we saw that look like against Wiley Zhang. So we've, we've seen Jessica really, really hurt. Rose did not have her really, really hurt. She was just beating the piss out of her and out and outmaneuvering her. But Andrade did make adjustments. She started attacking the body. She started getting to Rose's body and physically manhandling Rose. And that's when Rose kind of fell apart. And that's been the story on Rose. When Carla Esparza got to her body and wrestled her, she roughed her up and beat the hell out of her. That's just the way it is. I don't think Carla Esparza is a better fighter than her. But when she got her hands on her, that's what happened. When Carolina Kovacavich got her hands on Rose, she did the same thing to Rose. And the rematch against Joanna, for some reason, Joanna wanted to, to sh- strike at range with Rose, even though Rose's left hook and Rose's jab and her overall boxing ability were causing her all sorts of problems. But when she, when she got Rose in that clinch, you know what happened when she got Rose in that clinch. She was testing Rose in that clinch. She was punishing Rose in that clinch. She just couldn't get it. And sometimes she just refused, re- refused to attempt it. So there's a clear path to beating Rose Namunas. You get, you take, you walk through fire, you transition ranges, you get your hands on her, and you rough her up. Mentally, it seems sometimes she'll get a little desperate. She'll get a little, little tired. She'll get a little, little iffy defensively, and she'll start making mistakes. If you can keep the fight at the range she wants, and she can scare you off with her power, Rose is gonna, Rose is gonna kill you. Everybody she scares off with her power who gets a little hesitant, she beats the crap out of them. Michelle Watterson, Tisha Torres. Joanna Jindrajic, everybody. But the question is, can she scare Andrade off? Now, if Andrade's chin has been permanently damaged, this fight ain't going three rounds. Rose will either drop her and submit her, or Rose will just knock her to clean clean out. Because Andrade's whole game is built around her being able to walk through whatever you have. If she can no longer do that, she's gonna start. She's gonna. She won't face a lot of losses because most girls in the division don't hit that hard. But she's gonna start. She's gonna start racking some up. Because the champion is still a hard hitter. Cadella, even at this point, still a hard hitter. Rose is still a hard hitter. So if her chin can't hold up, it's going to be a short night for her. But if her chin can hold up, we, have, we don't know how Rose responds when she's getting physically manhandled and punished to the body. Actually, we do know. She loses. So the question is, is Rose going to be able to maintain the pace she can and maintain the range she wants? Or is Rose going to be able to create some kind of scramble where she can get a submission? Because I believe she can submit Andrade. It's got to be something quick. It's got to be something lower body or something around the neck. It can't be around the arm. Uh, Andrade will just hulk her. But it's a question of, is Rose, is this a new Rose we're seeing? I think she's training at a different camp. Is she going to be more apt to, instead of just striking out when she gets her on a roxer, looking for submission, looking for some kind of lower body submission? And if, if Andrade's chin holds up, what, what's going to be Rose's plan B? Because a lot of her success is based on her scaring you off with her power. If you're not scared off by her power, she tends to tire. She tends to get touched up. And I don't know. Rose hasn't fought in a long time, and she was mentally not into it. So I'm, I'm very interested to see if we see a different and better Rose or the, the, the fact is the book's been out on her, and only, the, only a few people can take advantage of that book, but Andrade is one of them. So I guess we'll find out Saturday. We will, sir. We shall. Um, let's talk about... Uh, is this a number one contender's fight here? Because if, you if look Rose at wins, business, it is. If Rose wins, so it if, is. You don't, you don't think so if Andrade wins? She got sparked in less than a round. I mean, she got dominated almost. She didn't do anything before she got finished. I don't think so. If, it, if that first fight would have been competitive, they would have given her a rematch. That fight wasn't competitive at all. It was. I mean, it didn't, it didn't go five rounds. It didn't go two rounds. It wasn't competitive. She didn't really do anything. She came in hard like she always does. She got countered and got finished. So I don't think that she'd have to win at least another two or three fights. I say if Claudia Gadelia wins her next fight, she's the next she, she's the next title challenger. Or maybe they'd have a uh, Andrade rematch Jin Jadrick and maybe leverage that into a fight. Yeah, sorry. That's the only other option. I if Rose wins, yeah. If Andrade wins, nah. No way. No way. Can't be mad at that, sir. I mean, you're pretty much spot on. That one fifteen uh pound division is is or is this 125? This is... 115. This is 115, that's right. Um, th- that, that division is deep as hell. It's my second favorite division behind the men's lightweight division um, in the in the sport. And talking about two other 115ers, or I don't know if Paige Van Zandt moved up. I really don't pay attention to her too much anymore. She is fighting 
Amanda Rebus on um, Saturday. Rebus is a 900 favorite coming into this fight. At last I looked, it was plus 909. Why do you think people are favoring uh, Rebus so much here, Swan? Two reasons. One, it mostly has to do with Paige. Paige is coming off an injury she hasn't fought in a long time. Paige has been fighting in a manner that does not play to her best strengths and their physical attributes. And, and C, Riva seems to just have, seems to be not only a very good athlete, seems to have total packages in regards to striking, wrestling, and grappling. She seems to be really light years ahead of the majority of the girls in this division. A lot of the girls would have had trouble with somebody like Mackenzie Dern. As unskilled and unprofessional as Mackenzie Dern is, a lot of girls would have struggled with her off of size, athleticism, and aggression alone. I mean, she got she was undefeated based off of size, aggression, and physical and, and size, aggression, and athleticism. Rebus had no trouble with her. She outclassed her, she outslicked her, she outworked her, and she outfought her. So people are thinking this is basically uh, a setup for Paige to get mopped and to go into free agency on a what, three-fight losing streak, two-fight losing streak, something of like that nature. Like I, that, think, yeah. I think Paige is at a disadvantage, but I don't think Paige is as easy a target as they think. Paige is still one of the most durable girls in, in two-way classes. Paige is also one of the most physically gifted girls in two-way classes. I mean, she got injured. She broke her arm fighting a girl who is being forced to fight a band weight because she can't make that weight class anymore. So she was fighting somebody a, a weight class up. She was able to handle scrandals, handle tie-ups, exchange shots on pretty equal terms and not get rocked or hurt by that. Third, second, Paige is good in scrambles. You take her down. It's not easy to take Paige down. It's not easy to pay, take Paige down and, and control her. I haven't really seen a lot of fighters do that to her. Rose Namajunas didn't. Rose Namajunas didn't, and everybody else she has fought has never really had an easy time with her. They may have outskilled her, but very few people are working harder than her. Very few people have been able to just control her. And secondly, and thirdly, Paige is very tough when she's fighting the right fight, i.e. going forward, i.e. throwing volume, i.e. working into the clinch and punishing people. Her clinch is tough. She's damn near killed Felice Herrick in that clinch before. So Paige has some tools to make this a very competitive fight, and if things work out perfectly for her to win it. The thing is, she hasn't been very active. She's coming off injuries, and she, like I said, she's been fighting a very dumb brand of mixed martial arts. That's why she's considered such a... Uh, such a uh, underdog in this. But in the division, there's lots of girls Paige can still beat. Everybody acts like Paige can't fight. I'm like, you think Paige can't fight? I, there's five girls she could beat right now. So what are you saying about them? Macy Barber, as much as she called Paige out, that wouldn't be an easy fight for Macy Barber. In fact, I might favor Paige over it. I've seen them both against decent competition. Paige has beat better people. Paige is a better athlete. Paige is the more physical and durable fighter. I mean, Paige could have did what Roxanne Matafari did to, to Macy Barber. So Paige is an elite and people think Rebus is, I think Paige is a lot better than people are giving her credit for. And that's what's going to make this fight more competitive than they're expecting. But it's hard to pick Paige because of her inactivity and her injuries. True. Interesting thoughts there, man. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if Paige wins. I don't think there's any negotiations going on between her. Oh, and she's UFC. out of here. It's clear. She's, she's, like, she, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm out. If she, if she wins, she, Gets to tell Dana to kiss her ass and gets to, to demand a, a boatload of riches because she's still one of the more the most marketable people in and MMA and she would have knocked off one of the top prospects. She get whatever she wants if she is when it, wherever she goes. Yeah, I think that's really how it, it's going to um, roll there. Do you think she goes to Bellator or does she leave fighting altogether? I think she still wants to fight, and I think against a certain, certain caliber of fight, opponent in Bellator, she could probably go on a win streak in Bellator. I mean, the worst people she's fought are probably better than the best people for the majority of Bellator. She's fought better opposition. A lot of those girls are un, really unseasoned to a certain degree. I mean, some of those girls are good, but they, they, they haven't really faced comparable athletes or people who are real experienced. And uh, she, even if she loses, she's going to get paid top dollar to do so. So um, I think she I think she goes on the fight more. I think I think when, win or lose, her thing her thing is, I guess, being as pretty as a fitness model, but being a, a fighter that adds that legitimacy to her because she's really not just a pretty face or pretty body. She's somebody who has substance and that substance comes through the fact that she's actually a fighter and she does it for a couple more years. She can fully establish her brand 
and move on. Plus, if she goes to Bellator, she has full rights to her sponsors, and she can really, she can really, really earn money and not have to dance around, tap dance with the UFC's rules and regulations. Yeah, I think that that she's already making more money than majority of the rest of the roster. So if she moved over to Bellator, and the 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 money would continue to flow. Mm, yeah, I would agree. Let's um. Look at the rest of the card, dude. I today was the first day I looked at everything other than the main card, and I was like, uh, what the hell? There isn't a lot there. Um, is there anything on the undercard that you are watching closely? Um, you know what? I let me actually pull that up because I have not given a lot of look at that under UFC undercard. Yeah, I definitely. Have. I was like getting ready, I was preparing for today's show and I looked and I was thinking um, yeah I don't I haven't heard one peep about the undercard and I guess this is why yeah I mean you, yeah I just pulled that UFC is just starting to turn into boxing they just w- want to have a few choice matchups on the main card and then they just pretty much just give you whatever the, whatever the hell they feel like giving you on the, on the rest of the card um, it's not looking great I mean they're not bad fights they're just not it's like I would say they're not. They might be exciting fights. They don't seem to be terribly important fights. Like if they weren't happening on this card, and this was just like on a fight night card, we'd be like, "What the hell are you thinking, dude? This isn't. This isn't going to cut it." Now, uh, is let this me look. The case just because we're doing this during COVID. Season? Oh wait, 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 wait. I do. I do have one thing on the card. One thing actually. Jerry Proska. Um, he's came over from uh, I think Risen. He's pretty much one of the best up-and-coming talents and one of the best light heavyweights in mixed martial arts in the mixed martial arts world i mean he he's just on a big streak his last i think his most recent one was a win over king mo to um to avenge the fact that king mo beat him i think in 2017 for the risen uh grand prix open championship see little no fact your boy was on that game plan team for king mo when we got that win over him so his last loss was to me and the king I always bring that up. People hate it. I don't care. I'm right that one until I die. Because King Mo said we were the Risen Champions. So from now on, I'm not just a podcast host. I am 2017 Risen Grand Prix Champion. Just letting you know. Uh, okay. I but yeah, he's, he's, one of, he's one of the best talents out there. So they're giving him Vulcan Uzdemir, who, in my opinion, isn't great, but is, is fairly durable, is fairly dangerous. But I expect Jiri to run through him and maybe get a fight or two more and probably be probably be challenging for a title in the next year, year and a half if possible. That that's that's a big signing for the UFC. And it's one of the few guys who is a known quantity coming in. Not like Reyes, a guy who nobody knew what to expect of. People people have big hopes for Jerry and people are expecting him to at least challenge for a title, if not outright win one. Good. Good good thoughts there, sir. I appreciate you diving into this undercard. Um, we have two questions today for listening to questions. As I mentioned, we're focusing all on UFC 251. And the first question is about Kamaru Usman. If he gets the win on Saturday, does he get that, um, that Masvidal shine? Do you think he becomes a bigger star? The kind of the way Nate Diaz did for his win over, uh, Conor McGregor? No, not even close. If Nate Diaz would have lost that fight, he wouldn't have been any bigger star than he was. It exemplifies you if you are a star. Kamaru Usman isn't a star. He's an interesting guy. He's a smart guy. He's an accomplished guy. He's a charming guy. Israel Adesanya is a star. Francis Ngannou, to a degree, is a star. Paige Van Zandt is a star. Nate Diaz is a star. Conor McGregor, Donald Cerrone are stars. Kamaru Usman is not. He's a really good fighter with a really boring style and if he didn't break with against uh colby covington he's not going to break covington really has people's ire that was a perfect opportunity for uzman to to get fans and to turn the corner it didn't happen and i don't think it's ever going to happen for that dude i don't know what he'd have to do for it to happen but whatever it is i don't think he's capable of it so you don't think there's any pathway for him to becoming a uh champion he's a more clever Tyron Woodley. Hopefully he spends his money a little bit better than him too. I mean, he's not as boring, but I just don't see it. If he, if he was on that, tr- the stars don't need, they need somebody to max out their money. 
They don't need someone to make money. Uzman needs a Jorge Masvidal to generate interest because no one really cares about him fighting if he didn't have a title. Masvidal, they made up a title for Masvidal to challenge for because he's interesting. They made up a title for Nate Diaz to challenge for because he's interesting. Nobody would do that for Mar Uzman because nobody cares enough about him fighting. I mean, I like him. Great fighter, interesting fighter. I'll read about him. I'll write about him. But as far as putting butts in seats, no, man. If, if this is a good pay-per-view point, it's because of Jorge Masvidal. Uh, Kamar Usman is just along for the ride. Same thing with Amanda Nunes. Oh, we sold this much fighting Cyborg. No, Cyborg sold that much. You came along for the ride. No, I broke this record with Ronda Rousey. No, no, no. You came along for the ride with Ronda Rousey. You were still not a star. You might be the best fighter, and I'll give you that. You're not a star. You're not a needle mover. And you're not a money maker. Otherwise, everybody would be trying to fight you because you make the money. Cyborg wouldn't have left if she could have got a career payday to fight you. She couldn't. That's why she went elsewhere, because she knows she generates money on her own. Well, sir, that's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty strong words. Let's and the name's Andre Ward. Let's ask one other question here, sir. Paige Van Zant. Why is it that people despise her so much? There was an interesting uh, tweet thread going on today in reference to her comments. I think she was talking to Errol Hawani about the amount of money that she makes outside of fighting, and she continues to have that conversation. She continues to drive that conversation. But people were pretty pissed that she was talking about that. So if that's the case, why do people hate when Paige Van Zandt talks about fighter pay, but when it's someone else, they're all about it? Why are so many people um, just flat out upset with her success? The question is, and do you want me to tell you the truth, or do you want me to come up with some made-up story to make you feel better? I want you to come up with the, come up with the made-up story first. Let's see how you uh, let's see what you can come up with off the, off the top of your head. The made-up story is because Paige Vansant is an insult to the purity of sports and the purity of combat sports. She isn't completely invested in the sport. She didn't get in the sport to necessarily be the best. She didn't get into the sport for the pure reasons that a Roxy Matafari is in for it for, the Amanda Nunes is competes in it for, the Holly Holm competes in it for. And we, we hate to see someone who's not in the sport for the right reason benefiting from the sport while all the people who are in it for the right reason are struggling to pay their bills. That's why. So what's the real reason? All these people are petty as fuck and selfish as fuck. And they're very, self, they're very, they're very self-absorbed. Everybody hates Paige Panzan, right? We can't stand her. I don't want to see her make money. I don't want to see her become big. The UFC shouldn't push her. And I've asked this question before. If you hate her so much, then when you're the number five ranked fighter and she's the number 11th ranked fighter, why do you get on the microphone and call Paige Sant out? They want the money. They want the shine that goes with her. They just don't like the fact that she's benefiting from it. But they'll totally play the game to make sure that their contract gets extended and they get a high-profile win. Valentina Shinchenko spent a year and a half calling out Paige Van Zandt for the inaugural title at Flyweight. Excuse me, what? <laughs> Jessica oh, I called out Paige Van Zandt. She's ranked higher than her, and she's calling her out. Everybody from the Tough Show was saying, I want to fight Paige Van Zandt. Y'all are coming off the Tough Show. You're two, two fights away from a title fight. Why are you calling somebody out who's four fights away at best from a title shot? Because she will get you paid, and beating her will get you on the radar of the UFC and the radar of the casual fans. And maybe if you get on their radar, you too can pull in Nate Diaz, even though none of them are interesting enough to do it. But you too can pull in Nate Diaz and become a crossover star. And then you can get all the benefits she's getting and maintain your air of superiority because you're a real fighter, even though a real fighter wouldn't call somebody out who's seven spots below them. No real fighter would do that. But all these supposed real fighters who have their morals throw their morals out because they want to get paid. They're jealous because she did get paid. They, they resent her because she's attractive and she gets better opportunities because she's attractive and she plays the game and they hate that. The same reason Felice, they used to hate Felice Herrig. And Felice Herrig used to tell them, it's not my fault I'm a business person. It's not my fault I'm playing with the, the tools that God gave me. Until Felice Harris, Herrig got her ass whooped by Paige Van Zandt and started getting old. And then she started crying about, well, the pretty girls get all the shots and those real fighters never get any opportunities. You were the pretty girl. Your whole career, you've been made more money than you deserve because you have sponsorships and you play an angle and you play on your attractiveness and you, you play up your sex appeal and you make more money as a result of that. But as soon as you start getting beat the fuck up 
and you started losing your fastball, and the same sponsors that used to run to run past other girls to get to you are now running past you to get to other girls, now it's unfair. Now it just doesn't make any sense, and it's not about the sport, and we need to be about the sport and make sacrifices, and these people shouldn't get paid. You are one of those people who benefited. Ronda Rousey used to complain about too. Well, they like pretty girls like Misha Tate. Ronda Rousey, you were considered pretty by a lot of people. You benefited from this. So they're all hypocrites. They hate it because she's getting paid. They feel that she hasn't paid the same price as them. And they know she didn't come in here to be the best. But that's not the point. The point is, we're supposed to want all fighters who, they always say, I respect anybody who steps in the cage. You're lying because none of y'all respect Paige Van Zandt. Otherwise, y'all wouldn't talk about her the way you talk about her. None of y'all respect her. But then you tell every, then you make fun of fans and say, well, you know, y'all never been in the cage. I don't have to respect your, your opinion. Paige Van Zandt's been in the cage. You don't respect hers. So your argument has no hold, no water with me. It just, it's just bitterness. It's jealousy. And it's selfishness. They don't care what happens to Paige Van Zandt if she wins or loses. They're mad because they're not getting the rub to beat her. Aranda Rebus is going to get a rub if she beats Paige Van Zandt. And all these other girls are mad because they're not getting it. They don't really care about the integrity of sport. They want to get paid like everybody else. All these fighters keep telling us they want to get paid. They're mad because she found a way to get paid doing less, doing less than they did. That's how they feel. They feel, I've done more. I should get the money she's making. I did more. I should get more money than Sage Northcutt's making. They're making more money, and they haven't sacrificed the things I did. That's just the way it works sometimes. And they resent her for it. It's not her fault. She had an avenue. She took advantage of it. Just like when you were a better fighter and you were making more money than her, you took advantage of that avenue. All you can do is work with what you have. She's worked for what she's had. She's actually fought for it, got in a cage and fought for it because she, she, they couldn't push her. She was on a losing streak. When they pushed her, she was like lost one fight. I think new money. She had won like four fights in a row. They're just jealous and bitter, and they hate the fact that someone who's not them or somebody who doesn't live up to their standards is getting paid. It's like elitism in mixed martial arts. I don't care. Make your money any way you can make it. Whether you deserve it or not, it's a tough way to make a living. If you can find a way to take care of yourself, yourself and your family and get away from this, please do it. All the fighters, even the real fighters, are trying to do the same thing. They don't just want to be champions because they want to be the best. They want to be champions so they can be the best, get their name in the history books, and then move on to a good life. Same way they resent Conor McGregor. It's really ugly to watch, to be quite honest. I mean, they're really good guys. They're re really great athletes. But watching them be so jealous of somebody's success is disappointing, man. I, I don't know what that's like. I've never been that person. So you're saying you're not, you're not salty like all these other people? No, I'm not. I mean, fighting's your dream, right? You do it for free. So why, does, why do you care if somebody else makes 100000 to year 20? You, just told, you told me it's who you are. You didn't say who I am as a moneymaker, who I am as a well-off person with benefits in a mansion. You said I'm a fighter at heart. Well, then and, and accept what you want. You, you, you said it, not me. It's not her fault. She took advantage of the opportunity like she should, because if she didn't, she'd be calling an idiot for, for having advantage and not playing up to it. She did what she had to do to make her money. Let her enjoy her money. You need to find your fan base or find your avenue to make you similar money instead of complaining and hating on somebody who found theirs. And yeah, maybe it's easier because she's attractive. Well, some people are smarter than Paige Van Zandt. Some people are better fighters than Paige Van Zandt. You have advantages too. You just have to figure out a way to monetize them. That ain't her fault. What do you hate her for? You should be happy that, another, that a woman has found a way to win in a male-oriented male sport that very few women get paid in. How are you hate her? I want I all women to do more. better, except the pretty ones. Except the pretty ones. They get enough. They get enough. They shouldn't get any more. They get enough. Fuck. Nothing was more cringe to me um, than when Macy Barber continued to try to call her out in the most, like, saddest of ways. And now I'm glad that that situation will hopefully never occur because I, like, that, it literally made me dislike Macy. Let me tell you, Paige Van Zandt was going to beat the shit out of Macy Barber. Paige Van Zandt was going to fuck Macy Barber up. Don't don't get that twisted because we've already M Macy Barber was gonna get fucked up, and then she was gonna legitimize Paige. People seem to forget that Paige went five rounds of, with Rose Amunis. We're impressed because Macy Barber beat up Hannah Cyphers <laughs> and and Gillian Robertson. Those Gillian Robertson would have been one of the worst at the time. The Macy Barber fought her. She's still in experience. Paige Vincent's fought a bunch of people better than her. Macy Barber would have got fucked up. That's all I'm saying. I don't care what anybody thinks. What everybody tells me, well. Paige isn't this, Paige is that. Paige is more proven than Macy Barber. And if they would have fought, Paige would have stomped her out. 
and the shit talking that Macy would have had a little bit would have been humiliated. Macy needs to thank God Paige Van Zandt didn't take that fight. Paige Van Zandt would have whooped her ass. I I would bet my house on it. She would have beat her ass. So we'll go ahead and put a period right there, sir. Let's talk about what else we're working on uh, this week. Let everybody know what work you got on deck. Um, I'm recently, I'm still I'm working on these Black Widow thing. I don't know when that's coming out. I'm working on another one for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with the coronavirus. You never know when anything's coming out, but I have to start working on it now because I'm trying to wake the week of or the month of. It's just too much to, to go through pieces and break them down and cut them. So I'm working on those. Um, just on Twitter, I have random thoughts now about, I go into being, instead of doing an article on the camps, I just write t- threads on it. I go to the MMA ratings on Twitter and I post through there and people can see my thoughts on where camps are failing, where camps need to be better, or just other thoughts I have towards fighters or corners. And uh, sometimes I try to live tweet the events on the UFC fight nights if I have time, but I got a bunch of kids and I think we have a tournament, so I might not get to it this week, but I try to cover as many of the fights as I can uh, during the event. So that's all I got going. True, so true. I can tell you on that. I am finally picking back up the pen, doing some writing, getting some work done, um, as we usually do. Uh, you know, we got a busy ass, busy, just busy period, man. Between work and side hustle work, it's just, you know, we're, we're super swamped. The infamous side hustle. Everybody the needs inf- one. The infamous, infamous, infamous side hustle. So, sir, I'm going to go ahead and close this show out. As we always do, I want to thank you, everyone, for taking the time to follow the MMA Ratings Podcast. Be sure to catch us across various outlets, so then we'll run down the list. Of course, you can always go over to our flagship first. You can catch us there, MMARatings.net, and let us know what you think about our content. Um, MMA Ratings on YouTube, MMA Ratings Net on Instagram and Twitter. Our podcast, which is this show every Tuesday, and my wrestling podcast on Thursdays, usually. You can catch that on Spotify, um, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Apple iTunes. So as always, whatever you see, be sure to like and share our content. Let everybody know that you are down with MMA ratings. And don't forget, we're getting the hashtag trending. So whenever you see this, punch a kid in the mouth. That's all we're going to (laughs) say. Schwan, I thank you, man. We'll be back next week to talk about MMA. Have a great week and stay safe. Look forward to it. Have a good weekend.